You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. Open God's holy word to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, the 12th chapter. Our focus today will be on verses 35 through 50. I'll begin reading with verse 27. John 12 and verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come, not for your sake, for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. Walk while you have the light. Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom... Has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but as the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
Holy Father, we come to you today boldly pleading that you would save blind souls among us. We pray that with confidence because we know we were blind, evil, wicked. And if not for your goodness, we would not see, we would not have heard, we would not have understood. And so we cry out, Lord, save. Knowing you've given your Son that whoever would believe that He is the Christ, the Son of God, crucified and risen, might have eternal life. Send your spirit now and bless the preaching of your word. In the name of Christ, amen. John 12, verse 23, our Lord says, Now, or the hour, excuse me, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now that that hour has come, the book of John pivots. Here we transition from the first half of John, known as the book of signs, to the second half, known as the book of glory. And those are really good names. And I hope it's now that you can see why they're good names. Perhaps you've been at peace, the book of signs, you've seen that, you've understood it. Chapters 1 through 12 of John, seven signs really drive and push the narrative forward and are central to the reason why John wrote this gospel. You get that. You might have wondered, why do we refer to the second half to which we're now transitioning? Why do we refer to that portion where No signs are done where our Lord is to be lifted up in shame on the cross. Why do we refer to this latter half as the book of glory? The answer that we see here in John 12 is not simply that, well, eventually we'll get to the resurrection. The answer is supremely found in the cross, which is constantly in view. John 12, 31 through 33. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The second half of John, with the cross constantly in view, is called the book of glory Because of the cross. Understanding this, 
And the conclusion that we come to now with the book of signs helps you understand why it is that with the closing of the book of signs, we end the public ministry of signs and transition in the book of glory to a private ministry of instruction. It's a book of glory. So why do we go from public signs to private instruction? And this tells you why it is that that glory is concealed. Why is it that the glory that's soon to come and all that is to come from it, why is it that that is concealed? It's relayed only to the disciples in the chapters ahead. We pick up with an invitation that Jesus once more extends to the crowd, verses 35 and 36. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Instead of stumbling at his words over the cross, they should believe while he remains among them. Believe in him. Don't stumble at his cross. Believe in his person while he remains among them. And and all this talk of light here, notice how it frames this passage. Verse 46. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So keeping this metaphor of light in your mind helps you grasp what this whole passage is about. There's light here. There's something that's being revealed. There's something to be seen and believed here. But after making this invitation, verse 36, latter portion... When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid themselves from them. He makes the invitation, and then he hides. He withdraws. They're invited to believe in the light while the light is present among them, and then he hides himself from them. Why? One reason is that though the hour has come, it's not fully come just yet. Early in Jesus' ministry, we see Jesus withdraw to keep the crowds from lifting Him up as King. More recently, we've seen Him withdraw to keep them from lifting Him up on a cross. Six months earlier, the Feast of Booths, we read, So they were seeking to arrest Him, but no one laid a hand on Him because His hour had not yet come. John 7 and verse 30. Now, the they there could be, once again, the Jewish leaders. But 7 and verse 44 makes it plain that this was the action of many of the people as well, seeking to arrest him, turn him over to the authorities. In John's narrative, the last substantial interaction we've seen of Jesus with the leaders came at the Feast of Dedication some three months earlier. Here's how it ended. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained, John 10, 39 through 40. So recently, Jesus has come back to Judea, and after having raised Lazarus, we read, So from that day on, they, the leaders, made plans to put him to death. 
Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. So the hour is now, and, but it's not fully now just yet. So why does Jesus withdraw again? Well, the crowd, once again, is growing irritated, to put it mildly at the best, at his teaching, it would appear. And so he withdraws. But I believe John is clearly intending to say something much more profound and theological with this. And the remainder of our text will unpack the significance of Jesus withdrawing and hiding himself. And immediately begins to become clear what is happening. Verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. They don't believe. They still don't believe. Despite these signs, these many signs that have been done before them. And these signs were done before them for the same reason that they are recorded for you. Chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you, that is speaking directly to every one of you hearing this this morning, God in His Holy Word, is saying, this is written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Many of you don't believe. You still don't believe. Despite these signs, these many signs having been brought before you, and you're hearing them, you're reading them, you're hearing them exposited, preached on, you still don't believe. And the gravity of what this means for them and what it means for you can be seen in John 5. These signs performed by the Spirit-anointed Christ are the Father's witness to His Son. They're the Father putting light on He who is the light of the world. John 5 and verse 32 There is another, Jesus says, who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Verses 36 to 38, he continues. The works that the Father has given me to accomplish, those are these signs. The works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice is. You have never heard. And this form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. The Father has just spoken concerning his son. In verse 28, to his son, in answer to his prayer, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And though this answer Jesus tells them came not for his sake but for theirs, they are confused by it. They don't hear the Father's voice. They don't hear the Father's testimony. They have not seen the Father's testimony in the signs. They don't hear it even when he speaks audibly from heaven. They're confused about it. They don't see. 
They remain in darkness. They don't believe. And now we're given an explanation as to why. This is so that it might be fulfilled what Isaiah spoke of. Verse 38. The quotation is from Isaiah 53.1. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And whenever the biblical authors quote a passage, any scripture, it's critical that you recognize, unless they're quoting a proverb, they're not quoting a proverb. It's not something that just stands alone. You're meant to realize they're referencing a work, and therefore you should reference that work to understand the import of what they're trying to communicate to you. And we spoke of last week how the proper introduction to Isaiah 53 is not Isaiah 53.1. That chapter division is one of the one of the worst you might find in scriptures. The proper place to begin reading what Isaiah 53:1 is Isaiah 53 is discussing is chapter 52 and verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and exalted. Jesus has just spoken of him being lifted up. He is cueing you to think of Isaiah 52, 12 through Isaiah 53, he's queuing you up to do that right there. And now it's come up again. So again, Isaiah 52, 13 and continuing on. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. What does that mean? As many as were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of the children of man, of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see. You might think kings shut their mouths because of them has the idea of they're astonished at his behavior. I don't think that's the case. I think these are kings of those sprinkled nations, and they're seeing him high and lifted up. And they are, they are seeing. That which hasn't been told them, they see. That which they've not heard, they understand. You begin to get some sense of this here in John with the Greeks seeking after Jesus. The world is going after Him. Now that precedes Isaiah 53.1. Who has believed what He's heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And do you notice that in John and Isaiah, both, you have an answer before that question and you have an answer after that question and they're the same answers. In both John and Isaiah, who? And the answer that comes before the question is the nations, the Gentiles. What's the answer that comes after that question? First, Isaiah. He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him. And no beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised and we esteemed Him not. 
Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. All we like sheep have gone astray. There is a sense in which this refers to every man, but there's a sense in which it's profoundly Israel. We have gone astray. These were people who were near, and they've gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So here's Yahweh, high and lifted up, nations drawing to him, Israel falling away. The glory cannot be seen for the shame, the conquest cannot be grasped for the crucifixion. God with this is telling us not simply what would happen, but what was purposed to happen. This is not simply predicted, it is predestined. This is not a matter of mere foresight, but of intentionality. Because Scripture spoke of this, verse 39, therefore they could not believe. Therefore, They could not. Man remains responsible in this. Verse 37. They still did not believe in Him. They didn't do it. They did not believe. They're responsible. God is sovereign. They could not believe in Him. They couldn't see because again Isaiah said. And now... John quotes from Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. In Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, though, this is first spoken of as a message of Isaiah, and then a command, and then the result of Isaiah's obeying that command to speak that message. Listen again to Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. He said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. There's his message. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Now, John, as he brings in Isaiah, notice how we, we shouldn't think of of. of uh, of John quoting Isaiah in the sense of of how we strictly would think about this. John is bringing the theological message of Isaiah 6 into our passage. And what he's highlighting, notice by his quotation, is the divine intentionality of judgment in this. Lord, uh, excuse me, uh, um, he has... Verse, verse 40, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And critical to understanding what's happening here is whenever you recognize in Isaiah, this was a judgment. This judgment of not seeing was a judgment on their not seeing. This kind of judgment doesn't find willing men and make them unwilling. 
It finds men in their sinful, rebellious unwillingness and leaves them to that in judgment. John closes this explanation of their unbelief with an explanation, a very peculiar one, of why it is that Isaiah said these things. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah said these things about not seeing because he saw. In order to understand not seeing, you have to see. Spiritually speaking, everyone who sees was once blind. The seeing can understand blindness. But spiritually, no one who is blind has ever seen. They have no perception of perception. They have no sight of what sight is. And so it's because Isaiah saw that he could explain not only sight, he could explain, speak of, blindness. And what Isaiah saw was glory. This glory comes as light. Isaiah saw glory, and what John is telling us here is that the glory Isaiah saw is the glory John has seen. Remember John opens up his gospel saying, we have seen his glory, glories of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. That's the very glory he's telling us right here. Isaiah said these things because he saw his. Who is he speaking to? Who's his? He is telling us that when Isaiah saw Yahweh high and lifted up on his throne, he saw a pre-incarnate manifestation of the eternal Son of God. He saw His glory. That's why He spoke. Isaiah, seeing this, spoke a message of not seeing. And he spoke because he saw the glory of Christ. And so with Isaiah, it is just as we're told that it was with us by Paul, 2 Corinthians 4. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God that Isaiah had, he saw in the face of Christ. If you don't see the sun, you cannot understand this blindness. If you don't see the sun, that is your blindness. You cannot see Because you cannot see. Grace is needed. Sinner, this inability that you have doesn't excuse you in any way. Your inability speaks to the depth of your sinfulness of your wickedness, of your depravity. This is a culpable blindness. It is a willful blindness. It is a desired and enjoyed, a loved, evil, wicked blindness. 
And then John appears to follow this with a contrast. Verse 42. Nevertheless, even many of the authorities believed in him. This appears to be a reversal of what we've seen in John up to this point. For the most part, we've seen believing crowds, believing crowds, and hostile authorities. And now it appears it's flipped. Now we have an hostile authorities or, or believing authorities and this unbelieving crowd. Have things reversed? Is this a contrast? Well, many believed, but. Much of the belief we've seen throughout John has been spurious belief. It's been false faith. And early on, John prepares us to identify false faith by not looking at men's response to Jesus, but Jesus' response to men. John 2, 23-25. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but. That but functions exactly the same way I believe this but functions here to qualify that their belief is not true belief. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. What's in these men? Most of the time, this false faith is tied to seeing signs, but it's a seeing that's not seeing. It sees the wonder, but it misses the significance, such as whenever Jesus fed the 5,000 and the crowds follow him, and he he tells them, you're following me because of the bread. They saw the sign. That's why they're following. But when Jesus begins to unpack the significance of that sign, saying, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, They want no part of them. False faith sees what it wants to see. It results in them believing in the Jesus that they want to believe in, but that is an imaginary Jesus, and an imaginary Jesus can only offer an imaginary salvation. Is yours a false faith? What does this kind of false faith look like? What was in these men? Well, For one thing, verse 42, this false faith does not confess. And it doesn't confess, verse 43, because man is feared and glory from man is loved. Man is feared because glory from man is loved. Remember early in his ministry, this is in Matthew's Gospel, Mark's. Early in his ministry, we see Jesus telling this parable of the soils where the seed is the word of the kingdom and it's scattered on these various kind of soils and some of it falls among the thorns. And Jesus explains, as for that which was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The cares of this world choke The seed of the kingdom. That's what's happening here. For fear of man and love of glory from man, this 
seed of the kingdom, this word, this truth, Christ, who He is, belief in Him, is choked. For some authorities, like Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, it would appear that the seed falls on that thorny ground and God begins to there, after the seed has been scattered, weed the ground and make it good. With some souls, He makes the soil good so that once the seed is there, it takes. But for others, for many, the seed is cast. And then it's a long period of God slowly weeding so that that seed can bear fruit. But right here, all we're told of is the seed was cast and there are lots of thorns. After Jesus told that parable, the disciples asked Him, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And immediately after that, Jesus goes on to quote the exact same passage from Isaiah 6. The parables were not illustrations to make things clear to the confused. They were for the purpose of revealing to some and concealing from others, so that those to whom it has been given, they might know, and to those to whom it's not been given, it might be hidden. This is what we're prepared for now as we transition from the book of signs in Jesus' public ministry to the book of glory and the private instruction that John is going to focus on there. These authorities have the kind of faith that's of themselves. And so it fails. It's choked by the cares of this world. They do not have the kind of faith that is a gift that produces fruit. This is not the kind of faith Jesus just called for in verses 25 and 26. Whoever loves his life, loses it. That's what they're doing. Whoever loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Or consider Jesus' words in Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. These authorities don't have a faith that stumbles like the disciples. They stumble at faith. This is not a faith that stumbles. This is a stumbling at faith. And they stumble at faith for the cares of this world. Their faith that they have is choked by fear of man and love of glory from man. The sinner, the only thing that can deliver you from the grip of those kind of thorns, the only thing that can deliver you from the cares of this world, from fear of man and love of glory from man, the only thing that can deliver you is a sight of Christ high and lifted up, exalted on the cross. And if you see Him there, not in a vision like Isaiah did, but with the eyes of faith, if you see Him there, then not as the cause of your salvation, but as the result of your salvation, you will say like the prophet did in Isaiah 6, Here am I. Send me.
You will see Him as Lord. John follows this with directing our gaze once again with Jesus crying out about belief. Verse 44, Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in Him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees Him who sent me. Now where does Jesus say this? When does Jesus say this? We are given no context, no clues, no setting, no scene, no motive, no details, no explanation. Which I think makes it all the more emphatic that John has put these words of Christ in this particular position without any kind of context to really serve as the conclusion to the book of signs as we transition to the book of glory. And what Jesus says here is not so much another invitation to believe. It it does that. But it's not strictly believe in me. It's not a command. It's not an invitation in that way. It is an appeal to faith for what faith is. Jesus is making faith attractive and glorious and awesome here. And He's saying that belief in Him is belief in the Father. Seeing Him is seeing the Father. That's the appeal to faith that's being made. Believe in Jesus. Why? Because belief in Him is belief in the Father. They mutually indwell one another. They are one. One divine essence. Three subsisting persons. Belief in the Son is belief in the Father. If sinners are to believe in the Father, they must believe in the Son. There is no belief that God will save you, save save belief in Christ His Son. There's no God out there that can offer you any salvation other than the God to be seen and known and believed in, in believing in His Son. If you wish to see the Father as Father, you must see the Son as the Son. Soon Philip will ask Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. John 14, and Jesus answers, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? I think you're meant to hear an echo of still here. But this is a disciple stumbling in his faith, not at faith. You still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. You hear the echoes again? But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This takes us back to another opening portion of John, John 1.18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's right hand, He has made Him known. No one has ever seen God. The only God, Jesus, who's at the Father's right hand, has made Him, the Father, known. 
This is why Jesus comes. He comes as revelation. He comes as light to make the Father known. He comes as light into a world of darkness. Verse 46. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. This assumes men are in darkness. They're blind. They're wicked. And this is why it is that though Jesus many times has said he's come not to judge the world, and at other times he says all judgment's been committed to him, this helps you make sense of it. The world already was in condemnation. It was dark. It was wicked. It was blind. It was evil. The sun didn't come for the purpose of judgment. The world already was under judgment. He comes to save. But now, because he has come to save, there is even greater judgment to be found by those who refuse that light that's been given. Those who reject Jesus add to their condemnation. Rejected salvation results in greater condemnation, greater damnation. It compounds guilt. Because not only is it so that belief in Jesus is belief in the Father, and seeing Jesus is seeing the Father, Rejecting Jesus is rejecting the Father. The words that Jesus speaks are those He's received from His Father. Verse 49 and 50. I've not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. 48 again. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken to him on the last day. Whenever John quoted Isaiah 6 earlier, he spoke of them not having ears. Uh, no, excuse me, he spoke of them not having eyes and, and, and their heart being hard and not understanding. But he left out the ears part from Isaiah 6. Now the ears have been brought in. They don't hear. The son listens and he speaks. They don't listen to the listening son. They don't listen to the father. Hebrews helps bring out something of the condemnation that one is brought under by not listening to the listening son. Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by the son whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What greater condemnation could there be than for a sinner under judgment to then reject so great a salvation extended in the giving of His Son and the witness to His Son. What greater judgment could there be? There is salvation in no other. Believe on the Son. Hear the Son. Receive the Son. Do this and there, or there's not only no hope, there is greater judgment. There's greater condemnation. There's greater damnation. What light. What glory. 
See the glory of the Son lifted up on the cross, bloodied for sinners, risen, conquering over their foes, seated at the right hand of His Father in majesty, sending forth His Spirit to gather all His children. See, listen, believe. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. Lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the light. Darkness. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light. That you may become sons of light. You who dwell in darkness. You're not guaranteed one more second on this earth. We are frail, we are weak, and a sovereign God whose anger is all that we deserve and whose patience is the only thing sustaining our every breath stands over you. This may be the last day of Jesus' public ministry to you. You're not owed another second of life. You're not owed another second of light. This might be the last day of Jesus' public ministry to you. Believe in the light while you have the light. Believe that you may become sons of light. Or he may leave you to your darkness. He may hide himself from you. Believe now, knowing that whoever believes in him, believes not simply in Jesus, but in the Father who sent him. Whoever sees him, sees not simply Jesus, but sees the Father who sent him. He came into this world as light. So that whoever believes in Him should not walk in darkness. Light is before you in this Word. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and become sons of light. Let's pray. Holy Father, You grant repentance. We are saved by grace. Through faith. And it's not our own doing. It's your gift. So I plead. On behalf of blind men. And women and boys and girls here. I plead. Hoping maybe your spirit already has or is right now. Uniting them to Christ. So that they're buried with him and they rise. That they're made new. They believe. They trust. And Father, if that's the case, then... Lead and guide them into truth. Burden their hearts to follow you. And to make it public in baptism. Father, I pray 
for we your people. In light of all we've seen here. That we would hear Isaiah's answer as our own. Here am I, send me. And we would go forward. Thankful that you've entrusted us with the ministry. You've made it clear. To go forward and tell this gospel to make disciples. So may your spirit be upon us for that. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. Please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.